Well, Happy Easter. We are so glad that you are here with us today to worship the Lord, to celebrate the amazing historical events that happened in the life of Jesus that we remember, namely the death of Jesus on a cross for our sins and his life through the resurrection that also is for us. So we take these things to be uh, not clever stories, not fables or anything like that, but true historical events. And that's why we gather today and celebrate the old rugged cross and the empty tomb. It's a beautiful thing. You know, Easter, Good Friday and Easter together are the gospel. They tell us really just about everything we need to know about life, about God, who he, who he is, what he is like, how he relates to us, wants to relate to us, and it tells us about eternity. This weekend, it really is all of life wrapped up, and I hope that you'll see that as we celebrate the resurrection today. You know, I've been sharing over the past couple of weeks some of the uh, principles, core values, things that... Uh, I hope that our church will uh, together pursue in the next season of ministry. Out in the foyer, there are some colorful little glasses. Y'all are free to take those. We're calling those our big vision glasses. We have a big vision, B-I-G-G, and those glasses probably won't help you to see the big vision, but they might be a great reminder to think about these things. And so big vision here are the four things. They're out on the little posters you can see posted around. Number one, the B is building the kingdom. That we're about building the kingdom of Christ, being a part of what God is doing in this world in our day and time. The I is investing personally, serving and being a part, giving and even sacrificially giving. We looked at that and talked about that last week. And the two G's. One is gospel engagement, the idea that we are here as Christ's people and given a mission to share the gospel, the good news of hope and life and grace, free salvation that is attained not by our works, but solely by faith. That's why it's good news. It's not something that we do or have to earn. It's something that God did for us. You know, on the cross of Jesus Christ, probably nowhere else do we see so clearly two key attributes of God. One is his justice and holiness. That is, that sin is serious in the sight of God. It damages God's creation, and he is opposed to sin. And sin deserves punishment, and Jesus took our punishment on the cross. But we also see the amazing love of God. The holiness of God and the love of God on the cross. And when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, Jesus said, Look, if I be lifted up, I will show people something. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. And we're called simply to look upon Jesus and believe. To believe that our sin put him there, that he died for our sins, and that he offers us life and forgiveness and hope. Believe on him. The gospel is good news. It's not a bunch of works. It's something that we receive by God's grace, a free gift. And we simply reach out and receive it by faith. And so gospel engagement, we want to show people the grace of God and we want to tell them 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the last G is glory-seeking. Now, a lot of Christians probably think about glory-seeking. I didn't think we were supposed to seek after glory. Yes, you are supposed to seek after glory, but not man's glory. We're supposed to be seeking after the glory of God. And so today, we're going to look at the intersection between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and this idea of glory-seeking or future glory. Now, before we get into the text, I'm going to try something new today for Easter. I said my, my approach this Easter is something I've never tried to before, before. I'm going to try to be brief, okay? I know you all have lunch plans, but I want to also try to be clear. So we're thinking about this future glory and about how the resurrection shows us this future glory that God has for us. And we need to start with the definition of glory, all right, and I, I'm going to give you three things, three tiers or aspects of glory. That's not the sermon points. That's just the introduction again. Y'all know how my introductions go. I take some cues from the theologian Jonathan Edwards. I think he helps us maybe get a, a pretty good handle on what glory is as we then move into it in the sermon from Romans chapter 8. First and foremost, glory. Because if we're seeking glory, we need to know what it is and what it looks like. First and foremost, glory is something about the essential nature and character of God. It is a profound beauty that is found in God. God is glorious. He's beautiful. He's amazing. He's majestic. And it's a profound beauty. Everything, every other kind of beauty or goodness is derivative. It comes down from that. But God's glory is something profound, and, and we want to look upon it. Unfortunately, our eyes are blinded to it because of sin, but God is glorious. It's part of his nature, his character. Then there is a second tier, if you will. If you think about God as maybe pictured as the sun, all right? So, so the sun, it just, it just has this crazy hot powerful nature that we can't totally get our minds around but then the sun radiates outwardly and so it is with God's glory there is a radiance or an outshining or a bursting forth that goes out from his person so it's not something just totally internal but it is something internal that then I hate to ooze is not the right word but radiates or shines forth bursts forth into creation and to other beings. And so it is an essential, beautiful, majestic part of his nature. It is radiant and it's outshining. It's going forth. But glory is also, thirdly, something that actually can be experienced by human beings. And it is transformative. If you want an example, think about Moses when he met with God. It said the radiance of God when Moses met with him over time, it actually transformed Moses. He began to shine also. And to glow. And the Bible actually talks about being transformed as part of our salvation and our growth in Christ's likeness. That we are being transformed as we grow and we come near God over and over again. We're actually becoming more glorious. We're becoming more like him from one degree to another to another. And so glory is something that we can experience and see. Though it's difficult because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where God's glory is so easily and often eclipsed. So, God's glory is an essential beauty about his nature. It radiates and shines forth, and it's something that we can experience and be profoundly transformed by it. So there you go, a little primer on glory. And it's important to understand this because glory is everywhere in the Bible. From beginning to end, it's, the gospel is described 
uh, described as glorious. Jesus bears forth the glory of God. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Glory is everywhere. We need to get a handle on this, and if we're going to seek it, we need to understand it. And today's passage, I think, helps us at the very beginning level to seek after God's glory, or at least an aspect of it. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be today, verses 16 through 25. And what I want us to see is the Christian's future glory in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The future glory that is ours as followers of Christ, not something we've earned, not something we're clever enough to get. It's something we've been given by faith, and we will experience, and we see it, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read this passage in its entirety. Romans chapter 8 verses 16 through 25. And then we'll go back and step through it in a couple of uh, key points. Let's begin Romans 8 verse 16. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So watch for glory now. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious, anxious longings of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he, al he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Three big things evident in this passage will constitute the three main points today. And they are present sufferings, future glory, and persevering hope. Present sufferings, future glory, persevering hope. Let's think about those things together. In verses 17 through 23, really it's almost like two uh, rails of a train track going side by side, present sufferings and future glory. Let's begin with present sufferings. This passage speaks about sufferings in general, but also the sufferings of humans in general, and then also Christians specifically. You know, having right perspective and expectations in life is really critical. If we have wrong expectations and perspectives, we are prone to great grief, sadness, disappointment, dis disillusionment, depression, and all those kinds of things because we have these certain things that we're looking for in life, and when they fail to materialize, when life seems to be quite different than what we're expected, expecting, man, it leaves us hanging. It leaves us disappointed. I once read that Christians need to stop viewing the church and the Christian life as some kind of cruise ship or carnival Disney cruise. And we need to see more that the church is like being on a battleship. I think we come into church too often and think that it's all about suiting us and all of our uh, different wants and needs met. 
I tell you, you're bound to be disappointed if that's your view of church and the Christian life. Man, I tell you, we're on a battleship. We're on a battleship. We're like a gospel army, a gospel boot camp meant to send people out into spiritual combat against principalities and powers, against dark forces, against lostness. The church and Christians, folks, this life is a battle. And I think that we need to see that for all of us, that life is difficult. We have to face this. And so this passage talks about creation suffering. All of creation it says it's a eagerly awaiting. In other words, something that we long for, something that creation sort of seems to think should happen or should be, it's not here. It's not the way we anticipate it should be. Creation is busting at the seams. Hey, creation is full of all kinds of good things, beautiful things, glorious things. But creation is also decaying and in bondage. This passage says that the creation has been subjected to futility by God. In other words, there is this cursing of sin. There is a vanity about it. There is an emptiness about life and creation in some ways. Think about this. Ecclesiastes, a great passage that we're familiar with about there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to gather up stones and a time to throw them. There's every season to life. And it seems like just about the time things get really good, they seem to get really bad. There is a building up and there is a tearing down. And we see this embedded in all of creation, this creation that is subjected to futility. There is a bondage to decay. I was just digging around in the barn looking for some wood yesterday. And I had some wood leaning up against the wall. And I was going to tell Isaac, you know, you can use this for this bench he's building. And I pick it up. And guess what had happened to that wood that had been sitting on the barn floor for a couple of years? Subjected to decay, rot, termites and all of that in all of creation we see moths and thieves and rust and termites and oxidation and all kinds of things chewing away at the things that once were beautiful and good and useful in our lives and so the creation it says think about that the entire cosmos all of creation this world is heaving and groaning it says and suffering like a pregnant woman who is in labor in travail it is heaving it's broken. It's broken. Creation is suffering. But this passage isn't just talking about inanimate objects. In the world out there, there's an indication that there is personal suffering. We, as human beings, suffer. We groan. We groan under sickness, under disease. We groan when there is loss. Ruptured relationship. Ruptured discs in our back. Muscles and joints that used to carry us and allow us to do certain things. The older we get, the more we groan. Personal suffering is a reality. And we need to reckon with the cause. Back in verse 10 of Romans chapter 8, it says, Here is the reality. The body is dead because of sin. What has brought this futility and this suffering to the cosmos and to people is sin. You know what death is? Anybody know what death is? It's not just the cessation of life or heartbeat or breath. It's a paycheck. For the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death is the wages that our sin deserves. And so, hey, 
If anybody here is immune to death, you're not prone to it, you don't believe you're going to be caught by it, don't listen to this next part. But for the rest of us, where did this come from? It came from sin. And the entire world is broken and experiencing the wages, the paycheck, the reality of what comes from sin. And death really is the pinnacle, and there are so many things that flow into death. All kinds of disorder, and so many things that flow out of it. The tears, and the heartbreak, and the loss, and the loneliness, and on and on it goes. And this is our inheritance. This is the world that we have received. As in Adam, our first forefather, all die. No one has ever figured out how to genetically engineer things such that that little baby being born will not be subject to death. This is the reality, folks. That's life. It leads to death. But it's not just general suffering that's in view here either. It's Christian suffering. Christian suffering, I think, is in view. It says, for Christians, those who have the Spirit, if we suffer with Him... He says, verse 18, the sufferings of this present time, Christian, you will suffer. The same kinds of things like death, agony, sickness, betrayal, all of those things that all of the people of the world face, so we face them too. But I think that when we think about the sufferings of Jesus, it says, if you suffer with him, maybe in view there is also there is a level or a type or a kind of suffering that comes for Christians that maybe doesn't belong to the people of the world. So you wouldn't have to think very hard to think about what that might be. It's living in this world under a certain set of ideas about what is right and wrong, and the world kicks against those, does not agree with us, opposes us about those things. All you have to do is look at the life of Jesus. He went against the religious leaders of his day and they sought to kill him. We suffer with Jesus. The world hates, despises the message that there is such a thing as sin. And so many Christians are shamed, omitted from certain circles, unfriended on Facebook. Christians are killed for their faith every day in this world. Did you know that? We're not at that point here in this country. But we could say this, that there is a suffering with Christ that comes with being a Christian, but maybe part of that that's in view is just the idea that, listen, we as Christians, as we suffer, we need to suffer with him. In other words, don't kick God out of your suffering. God wants to be there in the midst of what we suffer. We are to suffer as people with faith. We grieve as people that still have faith. You know, what the cross shows us, folks, is that one of the most heinous acts in all of human history actually was totally known by God and even planned by God for a great good. If God can bring the greatest good in all of the world to the greatest number of people through one of the most terrible, gruesome sights and executions the world has ever seen, surely he can do something in the midst of our suffering and bring something good and beautiful from it. And so we suffer with faith when we do face these things. Before we get to glory and the glory of the resurrection, I think that we have to hear this. 
that the world is broken, there is suffering, it is tough, it is not easy. And we need to hang on to our faith. I was uh, taking a trip recently. We did some flying, caught four different flights in two days. And, uh, you know, there's all this rigmarole they do in the airplane. And one of the things, and you're going, just take this thing off. You know, they got the stewardesses, and they used to talk, but now it's a, now it's a speaker on most flights. And they're going, you know, you've got these little things under your chair, and you've got things that could pop down if it's an emergency. And here's the exits and all of that. I was like, I wish I was sitting in one of those where I could have some leg room. This guy's killing me over here. And they're doing all of this stuff. And you're going, come on, come on, come on. And I'm watching as they're doing the little spill. And you know what people are doing? getting those last few texts in before they say shut off your phone and nobody listening to you so just take this plane off and I'm with them get on the next plane same, same deal coming back we're delayed for some reason we're just sitting there and sitting there and the pilot comes on and he says hey sorry about that folks uh, we had a little um, uh, unexpected maintenance that needed to be done to this plane and I'm like what? You mean these things break down? You mean people forget to do the maintenance on the plane? What in the world? And I tell you, I mean, seriously, I start kind of going like that, and I'm like, uh, 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 this thing's going down. And so now the lady comes up, and they're like, can we have your attention? You, yes. Yes, you have my full undivided attention, because now I've got in mind this plane's going down somewhere between New Orleans and northwest Arkansas. And they're going, yeah, and there's a little device that's going to pop down. In the, in the case, in the case of an emergency, it's going to pop down. I'm like, where is that thing? And I'm looking. I'm like, I need to, I've heard this before. See, I've heard this all before. But all of a sudden, there's a fresh sense of, I need this. I may need this. I'm probably going to need this because of this unexpected maintenance. And then they go, in case of the water landing. So I'm like, what water is between New Orleans? And, and uh, they're going, your seat acts as a flotation cushion. And I'm going like this right here. And, and I'm just making sure I've got one. You know, listen, because I'm pretty sure the plane's going down. But it didn't. Hallelujah. I didn't need those things. But listen, the, the news is not so good for you. Or me, in terms of this life, the reality is, folks, the plane is going down. There is a point in every one of our lives when this body, this mortal, flawed body, will cease to live. That's the reality. And we need to know what the rescue plan is is that God has given. And I'll tell you what it is. It's the death of Jesus for you and for me, and it's his resurrection. That when that plane goes down into the dark sea of the grave, God has already blown open the doors and defeated death and the enemy. And the way we know that is the historical reality of Jesus Christ walking out of the grave three days after he had been dead. Listen, Jesus didn't just uh, pass out because the pain was too much. Jesus wasn't somehow swapped with a guy that looks like Jesus. A bunch of different religions got all kinds of ways of explaining a fact that no one else has a way to explain is Jesus' body wasn't in the tomb three days after he died. And the Roman soldiers have got an excuse and, and everyone else has got an excuse but the Christians all have the same story. God raised him from the dead. That's the story they got from an angel that came from God. And these people gave their lives for a faith that at the pinnacle was based on the reality of a risen Christ. 
They gave their lives for that. They so believed it that they went all around the world telling people something that henceforth had not been made clear. That is, God has made a way for us to have eternal life. Forget everything you have heard about what happens to the body when it goes in the ground. We have new information of God's rescue plan of a resurrection that is ours in faith. Future glory. I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be brief today. Future glory. Verse, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move on pretty quickly though. Here is the glory part. It's in verses 17 through 23 also. That's the other rail that's going alongside of this bad news of suffering that there is a future glory that we're to see. If we suffer with him, it says it three times in the passage, we will be, number one, glorified with him. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is part of our salvation. We will be glorified, verse 17, with him. He will be glorified in us. The final aspect of salvation, folks, you can look at Romans 8, verse 30. Those who he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. That is, those who are saved will one day be glorified, receive a, receive a glorified, resurrected body like Jesus's. That's the final aspect of our salvation. That's what we're to expect. That's what the future holds for those who are in Christ. This crazy, glorious, resurrected life that Jesus is the first fruits of. So as in him, what happened to him is what's going to happen to me if I am found in him. And here's what Paul says. I love this. This is really the key verse, verse 18. I consider that these present sufferings aren't even worth comparing to the future glory. In other words, that glory, that reality of God in us and us in him and us knowing him and living forever, it is so massive. That any, even the worst human suffering is like a grain of sand up against this mountainous boulder. It's not even worth putting it up to. Man, there is something coming that is so big for the Christian. That even 80 years of profound suffering will seem as psh. That was nothing compared to this. It's glory. It is experiencing this life of God in a way that we have never fully experienced. Quickly, what does it say about this glorious future? I'll just rip through these. This glorious future that we'll experience at the coming of Christ and in the resurrection. Verse 19 says, it will be the revealing of the sons of God. Everything that the world was created for, that it's been groaning and heaving and waiting for, the sons of God, that is the sons and daughters, the people of God will be with him. It will be creation made all brand new. It will be the ultimate plan of God, verse 20, who is working out even all of our suffering for good. We will find in glory that God was using even the most terrible, hard things of our lives to produce what is said to be an eternal weight of glory. Verse 21, the creation is going to be set free from the bondage of corruption. I guess that means termites aren't going to be raised to new life. There's going to be a freedom from this bondage, a glorious freedom, verse 21. A glorious freedom. 
And again, I think about it, it's, it's like picturing children running around on the playground, finally getting out from under that mean old teacher. Sorry, teachers. They're getting freed to go, man, wasn't it fun back when they had these things called playgrounds and you were a kid and you got to run free and go wild out there just for those 30 minutes? Oh, it's freedom. And I hated to hear that bell ring calling me back to the classroom. Oh, no. Slavery again. And there is this picture of glorious freedom as the children of God. You know, you like to think that the older you get, the more free you are. Children, that's a lie. You're not free. All kinds of bills, all kinds of obligations, this thing called a J-O-B. <laughs> and, and you got to do all of these things. And then you get your weekend and you think you're free. And then you like me. Again, you start groaning and grunting. And I like to think that I'm free to do all the things I used to do plus some. But all that takes is running around with a little kid playing the game of tag for like five seconds. And I fall to the ground writhing in pain because one part of my body goes this way and one part goes that way. I'm not free. I'm not free in the sense that I would like to be because my body prevents certain things. There is this glorious freedom, the final redemption, verse 23, of our body. Here's what it is. You'll be resurrected. And some of you fancy that you already have a perfect body now. Good for you. That, that is not my view of myself, but... You know, no matter what the shape is or whatever, people wonder about in the resurrection, what age will we be? Well, you know, the perfect age, obviously, is 23 or something. You know, we don't know. It's not that. It's the body is no longer racked by disease, no longer subject to aging and death. This body is perfect. It will not be failing us anymore. Death will not even be on our radar because it's been defeated. And the incorruptible resurrected body is glorious. It shares in the life of God, that irrepressible, indestructible life. And we'll live on a restored creation. And so, he says, we have these present sufferings, but they don't even compare to a future glory that we'll have that is a bodily resurrection. Hey, listen. This isn't just a bunch of, bunch of fancy talk. Pie in the sky. Just as the resurrection of Jesus was a historical reality that he got out of a grave and made footprints as he walked out of that dusty place, so it will be with us. We will have a real, glorious existence, bodily, although a resurrected body. And what should that do to us? Verse 24 and 5. It should cause us to persevere in hope. Present sufferings, future glory, persevering in hope. He says, now into this hope. Hey, you're not, I'm, I'm just going to say it. Let me call out one one. We're in call-out culture. You're not saved into Joel Osteen's hope, which is your best life now. <laughs> There's a strain that calls itself gospel, prosperity gospel, that says, you know, whatever you want in this life, if you just have enough faith and say the right things and all of that, you're going to have it. Present sufferings, even for Christians. Your best life is not now, though there's good things in this life. Your best life is to come a prosperity, and a glory far beyond anything this world can offer. That hope you're saved. I hate to tell you, if Joel Osteen tells you you can have a new Ferrari if you speak it enough times, that's not the hope you're saved into, though I wouldn't mind a new Ferrari. That's not the hope of my salvation. What is the hope of my salvation? Resurrection and life. Forgiveness. Being with 
God who is the most beautiful, unimaginable being, person, thing in God is a fullness Man, we just catch glimpses of in this life. That's our hope. That's what we look forward to. That into that we are saved. We'll be glorified and raised with him and spend eternity with him. And right now, we still suffer. Though we have an indwelling Holy Spirit, it says. And the Spirit is a down payment that God gives when we're saved. And he puts his Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in us, who is a real person. And he's our counselor. He guides us. He speaks to us. And I'll tell you what he does. He cries out within us, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit confirms that we are children now of God. Even though we fall under discipline and now we're facing hardships. Hey, listen, as we go through suffering, you know what we need to do? We need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit that is saying to us, if we truly belong to Christ, he will say, you are a child of God. You are an heir, a co-heir with Jesus Christ and will inherit a glorious future. We have that now. He bears witness that we're his kids. And I'll tell you what glory seeking is. Glory seeking is striving to fight by faith to remember the glory that's to come. To try to see all through all of the smoke and mirrors of this world and the promises that leave us flat and cannot endure to that one enduring promise. Glory seeking is living a life of faith that keeps in mind the glorious future that we have of eternal life with God forever. And it's hard when you're in pain. It's hard when you're suffering and grieving. We want to rail and kick and scream, and that's okay. But we need to rail and kick and scream and suffer and wince and push forward in faith. Understanding that even the pain that God has allowed into our lives, He is using, if we belong to Him, He is using it for good. And the cross and the resurrection tell us that over and over again. If you're suffering here today, maybe you didn't even know if you could get out of bed this morning or walk through these doors. It was all you had to do that. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. God loves you. You are not forsaken. Jesus died for you. If you belong to him, you are his forever. He's working out even the pain for your good. Persevere in hope. Don't lose sight of the hope of the resurrection that is ours. Jesus walked out of his grave, and so will you if you belong to him. We are children of God, heirs with Jesus of a glorious resurrection. Persevere in hope. How about the rest of you? Maybe you're here today and you came in with absolutely no hope. You're here because someone invited you, begged you, asked you, coerced you, whatever. But if you're honest, you would say, there is pain in life. And we try to drug it. We try to mask it with other activities. There's all kinds of mechanisms we have that we try to cope with the suffering and the grim realities of life. But if we're honest, we know that those our short-term medications that don't keep us in hope. You've not maybe found what offers you true hope. What I would say to you is, God loves you. Jesus has his arms open wide for you and wants you to receive 
life and salvation and forgiveness and an irrepressible hope in Jesus. Receive him today. Come to him by faith. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And I am going to extend a time of invitation. And I just would ask you, do you have this hope? Do you know that you have life eternal? You know you have a grave coming. Do you have a resurrection coming? Have you trusted in Christ? The invitation is to come to him today by faith. If you want to come here, I'll be standing here at the front ready to receive you. If you want to profess Christ as your Savior, do that today. If we can pray with you, whatever it is in this time of invitation, let's do that. So we're just going to have a time. If you would, bow with me. Then we're going to close up in a song here in just a moment. Lord, today, would you work in hearts? Help people to hear the call of Christ, which is the call to salvation. To hear the words of Jesus, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Speak that, Lord, into hearts. And let them respond by faith in this time. Stand with me and let's sing. Let's turn our eyes to Jesus this morning.
Thank you all for being here today. Hope you have a blessed Resurrection Sunday. See you next week.